Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. There is a stat with the USPTO, which is the United, which is the United States Patent and Trademark Office, that says businesses that trademark their business within the first year of doing business earn three times as much revenue over the first five years than businesses that don't. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Welcome back to the show. I hope everything is going so great in your world. Well, my cute pup, Winnie, she just passed the seven-month mark, I know, and she's starting to find her voice, as we say. She's barking at other dogs on walks, and that's really much to my dismay. I don't really like it, but I understand she needs to do it. She's got boundless energy, and she's always trying to figure out how to navigate life. So Winnie kind of reminds me of what it feels like to be an entrepreneur. You're always trying to navigate running a business and learning when to bark, more or less. There are 582 million entrepreneurs in the world, and if you're one of those, you know what I mean. But figuring out the money and legal side of running a business, it's hard work. And it's probably as hard as it is to get Winnie to sit and settle before we go out for a walk. If anyone has any tricks, please let me know. But in this episode, Lauren Boyd, lawyer and owner of Guide My Business, is here to give you all the important info on making your business grow. Everything from trademarks to approachable, yes, please, and affordable, absolutely, legal advice for entrepreneurs. She's sharing all the legal questions you have, but you've always been too afraid to ask, or maybe you don't even know to ask. And if you're thinking about starting a business, you're in the right spot to get started and set up for success. Let's start talking. Lauren, it is so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. We're going to talk all about entrepreneurship, money, legal stuff, all my favorite subjects. So thanks for being here. 
I am so honored to be here. I just feel like you have such great topics. I'm honored to be a guest. Thanks so much. It's great to have you. Uh, as we shared before we hit the record button, uh, I have been an entrepreneur basically my entire career uh, since I was 19 in college. And I know that entrepreneurship, it isn't easy, but it has a lot of rewards. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But there were some stats that I was researching as I was coming up with uh, some some topics for our conversation about entrepreneurship that I wanted to just kind of share with everyone listening. I thought these were just a little bit like mind-blowing. So 90% of American billionaires are self-made. That's kind of crazy to me. Wow. 46% of small business entrepreneurs are between the ages of 41 and 56. And I don't know if you know this, Lauren, this one really jumped out at me. There are 582 million entrepreneurs in the world. I just thought that was kind of crazy. Wow, that's a big number. It is a big number. And I, I would think that it's also on the rise. I know it's on the mm -hmm. rise for women and when you're thinking about starting a side hustle or running your own business, of course, we all like to think about all the money we're going to make, <laughs> but we often don't think about all the legal stuff we have to take care of and you're our expert. So I'm curious, what would you say is the reason why most people just don't get solid legal advice before they actually start their business? Well, it, I think we feel like it's out of reach, right? That we feel like some of those experts um, are, are a little cost prohibitive at the start. And I, I understand that. I mean, I bootstrapped my business. I remember when I quit corporate law, the next Monday I opened my computer and I was like, so how does somebody start a law firm? <laughs> I mean, I had kind of gotten some like groundwork, like my malpractice and a few things that like I knew I needed. I had my LLC at the time. Um, but I was in the same boat. I'm like, okay, now what, you know? And, and sometimes I also think, like you said, it kind of starts as the side hustle and we don't have much faith in the idea. You know, if we're being completely honest, we're like, yeah, like this is fun, but like, that's it. And so I think we, it, sometimes we'll kind of the momentum builds and all of a sudden we look back and we go, oh my gosh, we ha I have a business. And, you know, I haven't actually gotten a few of my foundational items in place. And so I totally get it. Anyone who's listening, they're like, yeah, that's me. It, give yourself grace. You know, I mean, how many things have we learned and evolved throughout our journey? And I mean, I'm continuing to learn and evolve, you know, every day, every week as an entrepreneur. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the thing. And then sometimes it's like the fear of like, okay, it's been a couple of years. I can't tell somebody I haven't done anything for a few years. I'm just going to keep this my dirty little secret and do nothing. But I really want to kind of counter that with finding someone who's going to be kind of a good partner for your business is not going to judge you. I've gotten all the questions. I've seen the contracts written on napkins, you know, for all, you know, essential purposes. Um, but I, I love this stat since we're starting off with some stats. There is a stat with the USPTO, which is the United, which is the United States Patent and Trademark Office that says businesses that trademark their business within the first year of doing business earn three times as much revenue over the first five years than businesses that don't. Whoa. That's and crazy. You know I, it is crazy. And I think it's a mix. It's not only because there's revenue generating activities that happen. There's, you know, financial value from preventing someone else from using your name. There's all of those, right? But I also think there's a large portion of that that's mindset. The type of business owner that's getting their foundation in order as early as possible is probably a lot more mindful and intentional in other areas of their business. I have a lot of questions. Um, but but since you bring up mindset, I let's start there for just a minute. Tell me a little bit about just from your experience, like what does it take to have a good entrepreneurial mindset? Oh gosh. I mean, to be honest, I think the best thing that I've done for my mindset is have a circle, uh, to be honest, of mostly women um, that that I can talk to that I can hop on Voxer and ask the silly question that I can, you know, tell them about my crazy idea. Um, and I think that that, you know, not feeling alone in it is probably the best thing that you can feel for your mindset. I have a very supportive husband. I have a very supportive family. I'm very lucky in that sense, 
but no one's really like in it with you. I love my husband to death. We do very different industries. Um, you know, our day to day looks so different that he can't really understand some of the things that I'm going through. So to have those friends and those people on the other end of the line that I can say like, okay, look, what would you do in this scenario? And that there's like a judgment free zone where we're kind of trading advice. Like I need advice this week. She'll need advice next week. And we kind of just know that we're there for each other. That to me is, is really priceless in, in order to keep a good mindset. I like that advice a lot because I had only a short stint in my career where I wasn't an entrepreneur. And um, so I definitely know that I, I always say I kind of came out of the shoot thinking about creative ideas and, <laughs> and having the entrepreneurial mindset, but it is tough. It's, it's tough to, um, you know, to work through all of your doubts and fears and, and you are sort of in your boat, like floating by yourself to some extent. And so having that network, I think no matter what career you have is so critically mm-hmm. important. So you, you talked about trademarking and I've got some questions about, about that. I really want to dive in a little bit deeper because so many of us that are listening are creating content, whether it's blogs or podcasts or write books or videos or whatever it might be. So, you know, how do we protect our own content? Should we be protecting it? Yes. I mean, if you really think into like the nuts and bolts of our business, almost all of our, our business value is our IP. I mean, for the most part, right? We have some industries where hands down, it's, they're going to say, well, the number on my you know balance sheet, it's my inventory. Okay. Well, let's dig a little deeper. What makes up your inventory? Your inventory is largely your IP. If you're in the service industry, it's almost all your IP. And so IP is obviously intellectual property. And that's made up of a handful of different items. So let's kind of break them down. So first we're going to talk about the things that you can trademark. Now you've, everyone's probably heard right in the whispers, well, you don't really have to file for a copyright or a trademark. Yes, that's true. So let's kind of like, I'll break down each side of first trademark and then we'll go to copyright. So trademark at its sense is your brand. How do you want to own your brand? And how do you, that's how do you want your customers to identify the source of your goods? That's something that we're going to talk about for trademark. So if there's if, if they can look at the Nike swoosh and know it's Nike, then that is something that we can that we can trademark. Right? A particular design is going to be more on a copyright side, um, but when we're talking text, phrases, taglines, business names, even colors, like the um, oh. is it UPS? brown color is trademarked. Wow. Because when we look at that on like a truck, I'm like, oh yeah, there's, there goes the UPS. And it, I mean, it took them a long time to trademark that they needed what's called, um, kind of distinctiveness. So they, you know, over a period of time, they kind of proved that when we see that it's, it's natural for us to go, oh, it just identifies their brand. So anything that identifies your brand, your business name, your slogan. I want you to think about trademarking. I had kind of a horror story. Um, recently I have a friend that has, is just almost hitting that six figure mark or sorry, seven figure mark million dollar business this year. She's on track. She's been working for years to hit this point. And we were talking about something. She's a great friend of mine. We were talking about something and I said, I, I really want to refer you to, you know, so one of my clients, they're asking for branding. And I was like, you know, how, how would be best to, you know, set up a referral? Are you taking new clients? But in the meantime, I'm like, I'm just going to Google her business name. I, I honestly, she's been such a great friend. I'm not really spending a ton of time on her website. So I'm just going to Google her business name and maybe there's like a contact me form that I can link, you know, in this right, email. Sure. So I Google, I Google her name and I won't go into detail. I found some not flattering press on an entirely different business that is not a flattering business to be compared, you know, kind of up against. And so I went ahead and I, I sent her an email and I'm like, Hey, I really think you need to check this out. I found this, like I was just Googling you. I wanted to send you this referral. Um, and I, and I, I think it would be good for you to know 
that this is what people are, are finding when they Google your business name. And I, and, and I said, you know, I would probably think about rebranding. And, you know, she even talked to her SEO person and her team. They sat down and they were like, there's no other option but to rebrand. They've had this business name for years. She did the Google search and she checked things out when she started her business. But in that time, she, there's another business that she didn't discover that has gained some unfavorable notoriety. And now she's in the, in the process of rebranding. And she was telling me today, she goes, gosh, I just feel like this is derailing right. my year. Like this has put us on a total halt. Things that we thought we'd be focusing on in the next couple of weeks, we're not focusing on because we're focusing on a rebrand. She's of course going to trademark this new brand. And it's, it's one of those things that we don't think about. We don't think about kind of the time and energy. And let's be honest, like the love we have for the brand that we put together. And so I really want to argue that, you know, this is something that, you know, if, if you are investing in building goodwill with your brand this year, find an, a brand element that people are latching onto and think about trademarking it because the difference between the common law and the, um, registered trademark that I kind of alluded to is that you, there's one big hurdle that you don't have to prove if you have a registered mark and it's called notice. So we would have to, because she has what's called a common law mark, right? She's been using it. She's been out there using this business name and people know she has this business name in a similar industry. And that's called a common law mark. We can't prove that they knew she existed. Technically, we think they might have been around longer, but they didn't get negative press until recently. And so technically they might have a claim that they had the common law mark first, but we can't really tell. So that's this hard part. We don't have, no one has noticed that any, either of them, it really existed. Let's flip to a registered mark. A registered mark gives you what's called constructive notice. It doesn't, you don't have to know that I existed in your industry. And the reason I'm saying industry is we look at trademarks based on confusion what would create, um, you know, confusion within an industry, within a class of goods or services. So we're not going to say the name of a business that may be similar, confusingly similar in, you know, the same industry is confusingly similar against a a plumber and a cake, you know, a baker. We're not going to compare those. That's okay. We we know that there can be, that no one's going to confuse the two businesses. Well, when they're confusingly similar, we have to talk about this notice thing. And it can be really hard to prove that someone knew you existed in a sense that you're actually going to be able to protect your brand. But when you have a registered mark, you don't have to, it's called constructive notice. It's on a national registry and the onus is on the rest of us. When we're starting new businesses, coming up with what we think is a, an amazing, completely original business name or tagline, it's on us to be looking to see if it's already out there in a version that might be confusingly similar to consumers. So that's a long story to kind of just demonstrate kind of how this plays out in the real world. And what, what I want for people is I want them to be, have the, the kind of the strength of a registered mark. And the way you get the strength of a registered mark is order of priority. And the two levels of priority that I want people to focus on are first to use in commerce. So first person to use that business name, that brand identifier in commerce. It has to be interstate commerce, which is pretty easy these days, right? If we're actually using it and focusing on providing goods and services outside of our own state. Um, and then I want you to think about first to file. Those are the two levels of priority that you need for a trademark. Now, I've heard that uh, getting a trademark can take quite some time. Ten, tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about the, the costs and kind of the timeline of trademarking. Absolutely. So I used to tell clients when we first started tra- filing trademarks for clients, we'll hear back from the USPTO in about three months. It's now taking upwards of eight months to hear back from them. Um, what that's telling me is maybe they're understaffed. Maybe there's a little element of that, but I also know that a record number of trademarks have been filed in the recent years. 
So they are just getting inundated with trademarks to review, which means that they're getting stricter at the, in the way that they review them and the, their policies and the rules behind, you know, how they, you know, what actually, it, you know, is, is going to kind of achieve all of those standards across the board. Um, but they're also getting stricter with their timelines. So they're tightening their timelines. They're trying to make people a little bit more responsive and move things along faster. So I'm hoping that those timelines and some of the things that they've changed here recently will actually help them get through their backlog faster. But I like to tell someone, if you're going to file it yourself, just know that this process is going to take you at least a year. Once you're, you're examining attorney at the USPTO office actually starts looking at your, your application, it goes a lot faster, but it's that in between that just waiting period. So what I used to tell people was, you know, what are you going to be doing in the next six months? What kind of investments are you making in your brand in the next six months? Where will your business be in the next six months? Well, now that number is more like eight months. <laughs> um, but what I like to tell people is without having an attorney on your side to kind of do the comprehensive search, we're looking at like, gosh, we get results from blog posts from years ago to business listings, to registered marks, to pending marks, to, I mean, all the things, right? We're sorting through all of this stuff and we're looking, comparing that against your industry. Um, and we have software on our side. Um, when we're going through that, we're doing that deep dive so that you have the line of sight into what you might be up against with the USPTO. We'll tell you some of the, the rules and the procedural elements that you know, we need to keep in mind with your mark and how to really put together a strong application. And to be honest, this it's more important now than ever because messy action in this space is going to cost you about $250 per class. Mm, I like to wow. tell people budget about assuming you have one to three classes. So if you're in a particular service industry, it's probably pretty common if you also have maybe an educational element or some other element to your business that you're going to fall in more than one class. So I always tell people, let's just assume one to three classes. And then if you are going to file yourself, that's all you have to pay for. So you're probably in it, maybe call it $750. If you are going to pay an attorney, most attorneys, I would say these days range around $2,000. Now that really does sound expensive, but I want to again, remind you where will your business be in eight months? And that's what I want you to use as your measuring stick. So if you don't feel like you are completely confident in your ability to put together a strong application, ensure that you really know enough to make an informed decision as you're putting that investment in newsflash, the USBTO does not give refunds if they don't, if they don't <laughs> register your trademark. Oh, come they on, keep, right? <laughs> they keep your money. Um, so I want you to kind of think about that. Like, can I, can I potentially lose $750 or would I want to make a little bit bigger investment, but know over the next eight months while I'm waiting to hear the first word from that office that I made a really informed decision that I was able to have the strategy on my side. Because we've told clients, they've come to us and they go, I have this amazing business idea, you know, and this brand and the slogan, and here's all the things. And we've had to tell them certain elements just would not, like, you can, we can file an application for you, but we are not confident that you're going to have success registering this. And so have someone that's going to be brutally honest and tell you the things you don't want to hear, um, because that'll come in really handy. So if, you know, if our team is, is here to help, we're happy to. If you need another referral, I know a couple of incredible firms that also do trademark. Um, so, you know, anytime you need something, reach out, talk to a friend that's used somebody, maybe local. Um, there's a lot of really experienced people out there and it's really nice to have someone that can work through that process with you. Because like I said, it's a relationship. I mean, it's going to be about a year um, and it's going to be crickets for the, about the first eight months right now. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. 
Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete.me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete.me is not just a one-time service. Delete.me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete.me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete.me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm.
Such great information. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who our brains are already <laughs> going through the checklist. And I want to reverse a little bit to sure. how we kind of talked uh, at the beginning of this conversation. Um, I've got a couple of friends right now who, as you probably do, as probably everyone does, who are making the leap from corporate world mm -hmm. into starting their own business and really trying to get their ducks in a row with also you know, there's always that fear, like you talked about starting your own thing, like, is it going to work? Is it going to not work? And so, you know, I think a lot of us, specifically from the legal perspective, we work, like you were saying, almost backwards, like we get into it, and we try to mm -hmm. see if this thing will work. And then we realize, like, <gasps> we've, we've got some things that we didn't really think about. So, you know, what would you say to those people that are kind of in that transition right now? Like, what do they need to start thinking about if we're going to be proactive before yeah. we start our business from a legal perspective? Do you have like a checklist for us or just yeah. some things for us to think about? So this works out perfect. The first thing I would honestly tell you is trademark. That's the first thing I would do. And here's, here's why. I, most, most business owners I find have this like perfectionism in them that they really want their LLC, their limited liability company name to match their brand name. Like they just right. want, if they're going to okay. start off from scratch, they want it all to start off all kind of consistent. They want it all to feel really good. Um, they don't want to go get kind of XYZ LLC and then do a DBA, which is a doing business as, which you can do through your state, either secretary of state or corporation commission office, depending on your state. Um, and those are not very expensive, but they just like the feel of having their entity, which is going to be on all of your contracts, which is going to be on your business credit card and all of those things to match their brand name. So I actually have a lot of people that start with a trademark. So they'll say, I have this brand new business idea. I'm really excited about it. And I'm, I want to go through the whole process of, you know, kind of ensuring that this name that I'm thinking about is going to be our name going forward. Cause I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. Um, so that's a great way to start. If you're going to start and you want to be super proactive, start with the brand. Why put, you know, why put the time and effort into starting to build brand recognition in a brand that you don't own? So I would really suggest people start there. I'm starting a new venture and we actually went through a search of about four names before we landed on the final name. I actually love the final name the best. Um, but we went through a search for, for four different iterations of what we were thinking just to be sure that that was going to be a strong brand because I have really high hopes for this business and I want it to work. And so I started there. So I started with the trademark and then immediately after I got the okay from my team, like, yeah, yeah, I think this is going to be a good name um, for that industry. I went and I filed my LLC. I do not use, I mean, I mean, obviously I'm an attorney, but don't use a third party. I would really argue that as an entrepreneur and someone who's probably bootstrapping, don't spend your money on paying a third party to file your LLC or your EIN. Go to the, again, it's different in every state. So corporation commission or look for your secretary of state's office in your state and Google, you know, how to start an LLC. Look for a .gov email, like address because you're more likely going to be landing on your actual state's page and not on a third party page. You're not going to pay third party fees and they're going to ask you the same questions. Like no one's going to have these secret answers for some of this most basic stuff. It's going to ask, you know, who's in the business, the address, the business name, and it's going to take you through the process. And generally their offices are very helpful. So call them up and say, Hey, I'm about to file. And I, I have a few questions. It's asking this question. I'm just not sure what the answer is. Can you give me some advice? So I would say go that route and just do it directly. Because sometimes I've had clients come to me and they go, okay, so I went to a third party site and I filed our, all of our stuff and now it's like stuck in limbo and I don't know what to do about it. And I called the state and they won't help me. So I would really say, go just directly to the source and that'll save you money too. So go file your LLC. Literally in one sitting, I want you to file your LLC. While it's pending, you can actually go over and before it gets like approved and it's on the website and you feel fancy, I want you to go over to the irs.gov website and I want you to file your EIN. 
Your EIN is like your business's social security number. And that's going to give you kind of the identity for your business where you can go get a business bank account. You can go get, gosh, I mean, even your phone account is going to want that. Start, you know, that's going to get, start building your business credit. And that's going to be a, that's going to allow you to have all of your business finances really living in one place which I've heard from really smart accountant and financial people like you is really smart because it keeps you really honest on what business expenses are. And oftentimes it allows you to capture more write-offs and deductibles because they're not getting lost in the mix with all your day-to-day transactions. And it's so, just a lot easier. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when you come so to tax easier. time, you can just hit, if you use a <laughs> software like QuickBooks or FreshBooks, you just hit mm-hmm. print and yep. out comes all of your expenses. It's uh, the accountant's dream. It's your dream. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. So much easier. So now in one fell swoop, we have a brand that we feel like we're making an informed decision on that we can own our brand. We've, we have now created an, a limited liability company, which long and short of why we do it. Every, everything that we do these days, I mean, going driving in to get coffee, everything, every activity we do these days has an associated risk. And what I want for you and your business is to be able to make a smaller bucket for that risk and and have your business liability and business assets live in one place and making that bucket smaller in the, you know, unfortunate event that something happens. I don't want your personal assets tied to your business liabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have shared so much about your background. I know you came from corporate law, like you said, and you you know, decided just to start your own business. And I'm curious, are there any money or legal lessons that that you learned yourself that you really wish you knew ahead of time that maybe could help somebody else listening? Um, you know, I of course, I've had some messy action on a past venture around a trademark, um, but I'm not going to beat that drum anymore. Um, one thing I... I want to really urge people to think about, especially in the service industry, and I'll shift over to what you can think about kind of along the same lines in the product space. But in the service industry, remember that your service agreements are a living document. Your My business, I look back to our firm five years ago, and it's totally different. Our day-to-day operations, how we best communicate with our clients, our boundaries, our very, our pricing model, everything's entirely different than it was then. And so I want to urge you to do a review, put it on your calendar. I'm a big calendar person. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Put it on your calendar, like a reoccurring, maybe it's the first Monday of every quarter. I want you to sit down and just read through your, your contract. Maybe you have like notes like I do, where I, I get the random idea when I'm driving and at the next stoplight, I scribble a note. I want you to go in and look through your notes of like things that didn't work, pain points of, you know, maybe a communication mishap between a client or, you know, the expectations weren't totally aligned or you want to shorten a review period or whatever it might be. And I want you to write those things down. And I want at least every quarter you to just take a look at your service agreement and make sure you feel like that the terms and the expectations you're setting is allowing your team to work their best. Because we've all been up against a client that, you know, just is a drain on our time and energy. And then you just really don't feel like you're giving them the best work product that you possibly can because you're somehow always playing catch up. So I want to urge you just remember all of those documents. They're not set in stone. They're evolving documents. I want you to think about the things that you can change. Have your office hours changed? Has the first, the main point of contact, maybe you have a gatekeeper now, um, has that changed? Do you, what, do you guys text with clients? A lot of times I'll talk to clients about this space, about boundaries and what we're doing. And oftentimes they go, well, you know, right now this is how we do things. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's great. How would you like to do things? How would your team work? best. I know personally, my team works best via email. We do have it. We have a no texting policy with clients. So how can you set those expectations up front? And I'm a big canned email person take, and how can you take things from your contract and ensure that some of those concepts are steps are dripped throughout kind of the onboarding process. I remind people about our no texting policy before they sign and after they sign in the emails that they receive. 
I also have a lovely shorthand using my keyboard on, on my phone that has a really nice message that does feel templated that says, Hey, thanks so much for sending me this, you know, reaching out. Um, can you please send this to me via email so that our team can, you know, review this when we're in the office or, you know, the, you know, as a reminder, email allows us to our team to work best. It's something along those lines. And it's made it easier for me to reinforce the boundary than it is to break it. Cause we all know how easy it is to be like, well, I'll just text them back. And then I'll have to remember when I get back in the office that I need to send it so-and-so X, Y, and Z. Um, so that is probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that our businesses are constantly evolving and we need to make sure that we're setting expectations that have evolved with it. So you, you talked a little bit about, about contracts and kind of reviewing that. And I know for a lot of us, contracts can feel really daunting and overwhelming. <laughs> so, you know, how do we know what to pay attention to in a legal document? Because I know I get tons of things sent to me and I'll read through them, but I'm obviously not a lawyer. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking for. So, you know, is that, does that just go back to like an item on our checklist of like having someone like yourself or, you know, some, some other lawyer kind of in our, you know, our team of people that can really help guide us? Well, you know, I think it's a little twofold, right? Like we as business owners, I, I always find that before I hire somebody, I have to know how it works first, right? Like I have to kind of know some of the basics first. Does it mean it'll be better when I hire the expert? Oh yes, it definitely will be, right? <laughs> I am not a website builder. If it doesn't turn, you know, fix itself when I turn something off and on, that's about the extent of it. And I, so I know my strengths and my weaknesses. And I know for a lot of people, you know, I don't expect you to become a legal expert and feel totally confident reading every contract, but I want you to know some red flags. And it can be hard because, right, sometimes the red flags are not necessarily what's said, but what's not said. So what I like to, I, the, my first line of advice for anybody is ambiguity will cost you. So more than anything, if you're reading something and it feels kind of vague, and a little ambiguous, maybe it's about delivery dates or some particular item of the conversations you've had right prior to getting this agreement. If something just feels like it's maybe missing, like, well, it doesn't really talk about what's going to happen after, you know, this milestone, ask them, ensure that every major point is in the contract, because I don't want you to say, well, it's close enough, you know, or we can read between the lines. Because what happens is if everyone always agreed when they read between the lines, I don't think I would have a job. <laughs> um, and so I want to urge you just like be as clear as possible and don't feel like I, we are not a shop that uses really the verbose legal language like, you know, and there to after and notwithstanding. We try really hard to use, you know, standard common language that everybody can understand because it's not generally, I mean, if you get to an, into a dispute, sure, it's two lawyers looking at your contract, but most of the time a contract should be something that you and your customer can look at and understand. So find somebody that can write in that way and really understands your industry. We are licensed in Arizona, so I'm happy to help anyone in Arizona, but if someone wants to reach out to me and look for a referral to somebody else, I am happy to kind of reach out to our circle and find someone that's in your lo locale and really help you find someone that's going to write your contract in a way that you can understand it. Because I don't think as much as I love when our clients come and catch up with us, I don't think some of the things that I'm asking people to update on a regular basis, right? Their office hours and, you know, maybe some of the service details. I don't need you to come to me every time. I'd rather you kind of understand, and I want to take the time to teach you a few of those basics so that you understand and you can change those things when you need to. Now, when we're getting into the depths of, you know, ownership of IP, yeah, come back and let's chat if you have any major concerns, but I want you to feel empowered to really understand your contract. So first thing, ambiguity. Does anything feel ambiguous to you? Because that, that vague this will probably cost you. And I want you to also look at some of the most basic elements. Make sure your contract actually says your business name, not your personal name. It's all too often that we have a really nice personal relationship with someone. So they go to throw together the contract and they throw your personal name in. 
I want everything tied to your business to say your business name. It doesn't need to say your personal name. Yes, you're going to sign on behalf of your business, but I want it to say your business name. Um, next up, I want you to think about kind of that in the same realm of ambiguity, service details, milestones, dates, deliverables. Make sure that feels super clear. And now, since we've talked so much about IP, because I really do believe it's so important, look and see who's going to own the IP. If you are going out to a graphic designer and you're paying them to create your logo, I want you to own your logo. I don't want them to own your logo. Now, there's a lot of shades of gray there, right? Maybe they come up with six iterations before you get to the final logo. And they're entirely different, right? They're not similar. That's okay. They can own those. They can own their rough drafts. They can own, you know, unapproved versions. I'm okay with that, right? We could do some trade-offs here because maybe they might use some of those concepts with their next client who does love that concept. But that final deliverable, I want you to own it. I think it's really often that contractors, unfortunately, have heard, well, in order to protect yourself and put together your portfolio and to do X, Y, and Z, you need to own all the IP for your clients. But I've had to coach a lot of our clients and say, do you need to own somebody's wedding photos? I really don't think so. What is your concern? Well, I really want them to tag me on Instagram. Okay, great. Let's make sure that they tag you on, you know, any, you know, public space where they're posting it. You know, they post their lovely photo with their sweet caption at the bottom. They give you photo credit or they tag you in the photo. That's great. Um, maybe you're working for a business and they they put all these beautiful photos you take on a blog. Well, make sure you ask for photo credit and, and have a, you know, credit line. Um, let's talk about, you know, let's go back to that graphic designer. They come up with your incredible logo. You're not going to give them like credit every time you use your logo, right? That doesn't make sense, but maybe they want to use it in their portfolio. That maybe shouldn't bother you. I always think that's kind of one of those, like, you know, more people that are putting your business out there in front of others is is probably a good thing. So that's probably super great. So I've had to go back to our clients and say, I know you think you want to own, you know, your stuff, but let's think about, you know, your business at the higher level. Maybe some small entrepreneurs don't know that they should push back on this because maybe to the state you haven't really had any pushback. And so you think you should just leave it. But don't you want like the bigger clients, like the, the guys that like, you know, you know, entrepreneurs that really understand what they're getting into when they're getting into a contract. Don't you want to land that really big brand? They're not going to let you own the IP. Let's build a contract that protects everything that you're interested in without getting hung up on the little stuff that actually doesn't matter. You don't need to own their IP. You want photo credit. You, you know, you want credit, which is called attribution. You want, you know, to ensure that you can use it in your portfolio. So you want a license to use it for marketing purposes. That's all great and things that we can achieve. And it creates a win-win scenario for everybody. Wow. We've talked about so much, but I want to end here and get your thoughts. So with all the changes right now, we've got the great resignation that happened during COVID, inflation, maybe recession, who really knows? (laughs) Lots of layoffs. You know, Lauren, what do you think is the future of entrepreneurship? Like, what is it going to look like the next couple of years? You know, I have a lot of hopes for entrepreneurship because I think as entrepreneurs in private business, one of my favorite things is that founders have the opportunity to build a culture that they think represents a better version than they've seen before. And I'm really hopeful that that allows us to create a space to really empower. I mean, I'm going to be really honest to empower women, you know, in work. I mean, I'm in the stage of life where me and my friends are all having babies and we have young families and maybe we're the default parent that when a kid is sick, that, you know, it's us that has to be flexible. And I really do think that there's a version of work out there driven kind of in this private industries that allows us more flexibility that, you know, and I also have to, I have to caveat this. I came from a time where you worked for free (laughs) and it was acceptable. (laughs) And I had some of my, (laughs) I had some of my best experience in unpaid internships. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
I was raised, you know, where we had to work hard and, you know, minimum wage was much smaller than it used to, you know, it is today. And while I want to champion work living wages, I also want, you know, I want to say that we should, as employers have a responsibility to build a really great culture, but I think it's also it really important to build a culture of accountability and a culture where there's something that people can work for and they can have buy-in and they can feel really good about what they're showing up for. Um, so I'm really hopeful that, you know, during this great resignation, we're going to, you know, I like to say we vote with our dollars, you know, um, when we're buying products, we're out there in the marketplace. I think it's the same thing with our employment options. I, I would say that, you know, we need to all be empowered to make the decision that's right for us, whether that's being your own boss. I'm unemployable now. I'm sorry. I couldn't go work anywhere else. Um, I just don't think I could do it. My husband teased, like I was trying to, I was kind of getting poached from a firm and he was like, well, how much would they have to offer you? And I was like, there is no amount of money. Um, so know yourself, know if it's time to, you know, turn that side hustle, or maybe there wasn't a side hustle and you just want to take the leap. I did it. It worked. I don't tell everyone to do it, but go for it. Um, you know, or maybe it's just time to find a a company that has a culture that's more aligned with what you're looking for. Um, I, I think it's so important to, you know, devote our time. I think life is too short to something that you believe in and a company that you feel that your loyalty is recognized and that it's, you know, something that is reciprocated. Um, but I think as, as leaders and employers, we have the opportunity to get creative. I don't want to build a business like every business before. I want to build a business that seeks the things that I see problems with. I was talking to a friend and I have a crazy idea that, you know, I'm kind of working through right now on the heels of another thing we're about to launch. And I said, I want this. I see this. It's a nonprofit. I said, I see this nonprofit being a nonprofit where every during the summers when people are at home with their kids, that they work two hours a day. Like, that's what I see. I think I see that. Like, and I don't know what I haven't really worked out the details, but like, let's have fun with it. Let's play with it. Let's, let's, you know, challenge the status quo. And so I know there's so much uncertainty, but I'm really here for it because I think it's going to push people to say, you know what? Life's too short. I'm going to go do what I feel like is best. And I think on the other side of that, we're going to find a lot of, a lot of growth. When I first started this podcast way back in 2015, I chose the name Millennial Money because I thought it was super marketable and super easy to remember. And I'd written an article that had gone viral about smart money moves in your 20s. So I thought, why not? But like fast forward a few years and literally everyone had a version for their podcast name that was something around millennial money. So it made trademarking this name really impossible. So learn from me, set up your business with a trademark and all the good contracts, et cetera, that Lauren talked about from the start. And yes, of course, we're trademarking the name of this show, the new name of this show. So lesson learned. But if you want to learn more and connect with Lauren, you can find her on Instagram at the Lauren Boyd. And you can find all sorts of things. They're putting together some new cool things for the fall. And it's also a great place to connect with her firm to guide my business. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, family members, anyone who you know who might also love to hear this important information. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links mentioned in this episode, as well as our podcast sponsors. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode.